Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 2. Before I read this, I want you to think about two questions. First question is this. It's a question that we should always ask every time we approach God's word, every time we hear God's word, and it's simply this. What is God's word saying to me? What is God's word asking me to do? What is God's word calling me to do? Something to believe, some action to take. What is it? All right, that's the first question. Here's the follow-up question to that. Is what God's word is calling you to do in this specific section of God's word, is it intimidating or is it inspiring? This is Galatians chapter two. When Cephas, that is Peter or Simon Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of your Lord. We're asking two questions. The first is this, what is God's word saying in this section of scripture? And the second, the follow-up, is it intimidating? Is it something that maybe kind of urges us to stop and not do it? Or is it inspiring? Is it something that encourages us to go and do it right away? Let's answer the first question first. What's God's word saying here in Galatians chapter two? Let's start with some context. Galatia was an area that Paul visited on his very first missionary journey. He would go there again on his second and third mission trip, but evidently, here's what happened. Paul went and he preached the gospel. He preached that you are saved not by doing things, but you are saved because of what Christ did. You're saved by faith in that. You are justified. Justified means that you are declared by God not guilty of your sins, 
not because of your works of the law, whether it's circumcision, keeping festivals, keeping religious regulations, or just how good your performance is. No, 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 no. You are saved by faith in Christ. That's the gospel. And that's the gospel, the message that Paul preached. But then, evidently, this happened. Some people came along, and Scripture calls them Judaizers, people who said, yeah, actually, no, you still got to be circumcised. No, 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 yeah, we, we believe in Christ, and yeah, he's great. He, he came and he forgave your sins, but to get that forgiveness, you got to do some things. Circumcision, certain festivals, certain way of dressing, certain way of acting. You must follow the law or that forgiveness, it's not yours. So Paul wrote a letter. Paul wrote a letter to this group, and it is perhaps one of his strongest letters where he calls out this lie. Galatians begins in this way. It starts by saying, look, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. That is the message of the gospel. You are saved. Now just live in it. Just stand in it. Just stand in the good, unconditional love of God all the days of your life. That's Paul's message. That's what you were called to. But you're turning to a different gospel, he said. A different gospel, get this, which is really not a gospel at all. Look, that which you think is a gospel, if it has stuff added to it, like, wait, 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 but you need to still be circumcised and you need to do this and also that. That's no gospel at all. The gospel is good news. It doesn't demand anything from you. Paul continues. He says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. He gets even stronger than that if you read the rest of the letter. But Paul is serious. He said, let us, let an angel, let anybody who comes and tries to tell you that there is something else on top of the gospel alone that saves you, they're cursed. He lays this out for them. He lays out this message and he does so with all enthusiasm and passion because he's concerned. And then we get to Galatians 2, which is where our reading came from today. And what Paul does is share an example. He shares an example of, of just how serious a matter this is to, to add things to the gospel and he shares an example from his life to point out how serious it is and, well, how to deal with it. This is what happened. He said when Cephas, that is Peter, like the Peter from the Bible, when Cephas came to Antioch, Paul said, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. In other words, he didn't have to stand on trial. It was just evident from what he was doing, it wasn't doing something right. He was in the wrong. I, I came and I, I had to oppose him. This is what he said, and here, here's why. Because certain men came from James. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. What does that mean? Well, there used to be a ceremonial law that said that Jewish people could not eat with Gentile people, non-Jewish people, because if they did, they'd be unclean. But 
when Christ came, he fulfilled the law and Christ actually appeared specifically to Peter and said, look, those ceremonial laws, I fulfilled them. They're, they're done. They're, they're gone away with. You don't have to pick and choose which foods are right and wrong to eat. You can eat it all. God made it all. And as far as all, you can eat with all people. And Peter said, okay. So he did this. He used to do this. He was in the habit of doing it. But when certain men arrived, he began to draw back. He began to separate himself from the not-Jews because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. He was afraid of people. Peter, bold Peter, who, who walked on water, who said, Lord, I would die for you. He got scared. He got scared because there were certain men who belonged to a group that said, no, 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 no. Jesus is great. But if you want to really have his blessing, got to be circumcised. You still have to. You can't be saved if you're not circumcised, if you don't follow the, the ceremony of law. And so Peter, well, Paul says, was being a hypocrite. When those guys were not there, oh, he was cool to eat with whoever he wants. But when they came, he began to draw back and he was living like a hypocrite. And so much so that the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Who's Barnabas? Barnabas is like Paul's right-hand man. He's another missionary who went with Paul on these missionary journeys who, who understood very well the grace and how it includes Gentiles. And you don't have to give additional commands to it. But this was such a problem that even Barnabas was led astray. And so what happens? Well, Paul, when he saw this, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, because God said it's okay. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Why do you do that? This is what happened. This is the example that Paul gives to his Gentile congregation, Galatian congregation, who is both Jew and Gentile. He says, look, the gospel's important. It's what's on the line here is, is people understanding the full, no law, no obligation gospel that God gives to the church. And look, this is, this is what happens when people start adding stuff to it, start adding whether it's circumcision to it. So we're answering the question, what is God's word saying to you? I think we can think about this in two ways. First, very personally, what it means for us. Throughout the book of Galatians, you know, it talks about circumcision and it talks about the ceremonial law that being the thing that, that those people were tempted to look to to find their hope outside Christ. Now, here's what I doubt very much. I doubt very much that any of you are tempted by the ceremonial law or circumcision to find your hope in that instead of Christ. But there are things there are things that you look to, actually, that you're, that you're used to Christ. You know the gospel, but maybe it's, it's an old sin. 
It's something that before you really thought about what it means to live in the gospel that well, you'll draw back to. Maybe it's finding your worth and your enoughness in your performance at work. Maybe, maybe it's, it's your family. Family, friends, children, your spouse. Great, wonderful gifts from God, but how much they love me, how much time I get to spend with them, that, that's really what makes me feel at peace. Not Christ. And so you draw back into that because we're afraid. We're afraid that God the Father who says we are enough, God the Father who says he has adopted us to be his children, maybe that's not enough. So maybe it's work, maybe it's family, maybe it's finances, that God says I'm gonna give you the riches of Christ, but maybe not, maybe not this week. God says I'm gonna give you rest, forgiveness for all your sins. You say, yeah, kind of, kind of doubt that and I'm afraid. So you draw back in, in living in a way that well bases your life on your moral performance, your work performance, your friends, your family, your finances, your accomplishments, you name it. You can think of that. You can think of that thing for yourself. But you can think of that and you can see that also in others. That other people are are drawn to that for a variety of different reasons. And so we're asking the question, what is God's word saying to us in Galatians chapter two? It's one, very personally, that we know what it's like to have that pull. But second, that when other people are pulled in that direction, in a direction that takes them from finding their hope in Christ alone to finding their hope in something else, God says, I'm calling you. The church I want are people that oppose them, that say, that is not right. That is not the gospel. That is not how God has called us to live as Christians. And that's hard to hear. If you're filling in blanks or writing down notes in your worship guide, that's the answer to our question. What is God saying in Galatians 2 is that he wants a church. He wants a church that says hard things to one another. So now to our second question. Does that make you feel inspired or somewhat intimidated? I think for all of us, we can agree that, that saying hard things to other people is rather an intimidating task. It's not easy. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through three different considerations from Galatians, from God's Word, to help us think through how this actually can be a very inspiring thing, a very encouraging thing, because that is what God wants for you, his church, and for others. This isn't meant to intimidate us and, and make us stop. No, this is rather meant to encourage you, inspire you, and call you to a very noble calling that God has given to you, to be a watch man or woman, to stand on the wall and say, hey, look, you're in danger, but there is help. So here's our first consideration. As we think about this, we're asking the question, is it intimidating or is it actually something inspiring? And the first thing we note is this, that saying hard things is intimidating if what's at stake is my fill in the blank. This can be a very intimidating thing to, to say hard things if what's at stake. Well, it's something that affects me personally. Think about that. Paul and Peter. Paul, 
the brand new apostle who formerly had a career in murdering Christians, and Peter, the day one apostle who had been there all along by Christ's side and was rather recognized as a leader in the New Testament church. Why was Paul doing this? What, what's at stake? What's his motivation? Was, was this a power play to, you know, kind of get his foot in the door and, you know, the circle of apostles? Hardly. What, was this Paul saying, okay, okay, you guys doubt that I'm a real apostle? Watch this. I'm going to call out Peter. Did I put himself up? Put someone down? No. And ask yourself, why do we say hard things? Or, or maybe why don't we say hard things? Why don't we is probably more the case. Could affect my relationship with this person at work. They don't want to talk to me or work with me anymore. It could actually affect a relationship that I, I value tremendously, a relationship with a spouse, a friend, that I tell them something that, that they don't like, and they end the relationship. It's intimidating. It's intimidating. If this is, is it literally affect my livelihood, my, my business, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to lose someone I love. I don't want to lose this relationship. I don't want to make it awkward. It's very intimidating if what is at stake, fill in the blank. It's yours. It's, it's your ego. Your feelings. But is that what was at stake here? Certainly not. Saying hard things is inspiring if, if what's at stake is the gospel. And this Friends, this is why Paul is okay to get so fired up. It's because he knows that Paul, excuse me, Peter, who knows the truth of the gospel, his life isn't aligned with it. He, he knows the good news that God has forgiven all sins. But I love this phrase. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I had to say something. There is a way of life that flows freely from the good news of God's word. That you, that you live a certain way. When you know how God has freed you from sin, you live freely. You're not bound by rules and laws and guilt and regulation. But Peter's life was not aligned with that. It was out of step with that. That's the motivation here. What's at stake is the gospel. And if what's at stake is the gospel in someone's life, then what's at stake, let's go even a step further, it's their soul. It's their salvation. And that is why Paul gets hyped about this. He says, we know this. We know this, people. We know that a person is not saved by the things that they do. In fact, he'll say it at the end, because those who try to be saved by works of the law, last sentence, they're not going to be justified. They're not going to be declared not guilty by God. No, we know that a person is justified by faith, by their trust in Christ. So that's why we put our faith in Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ. Paul gets excited, gets riled up. Why? Because this is about the gospel. It's about the gospel, not just in general, but the gospel specifically in someone's heart someone's life, and it deals with what's at stake, their soul, the salvation of their soul. Let me ask you a question. What gets you riled up? Think back maybe just yesterday or 
the last week. What gets you riled up? Is it a football game? Who wins, who loses? That, that really makes me feel a certain way. Well, is it, is it maybe a pet peeve? Like, oh, my spouse always leaves their clothes inside out and laying on the floor. Does that get you riled up? What gets you riled up? Is it, is it, is it the fact that someone sat in your seat today? Ask yourself, what, what gets you riled up in life? Because what well, says a lot about you. So often, we are willing to say hard things, things that people don't want to hear, but is it the right thing? So often, we're willing to speak our mind, but are we willing to speak what's on God's mind? There's a lot of things that we could get riled up about, hot topic issues, politics, newsworthy things that we could get riled up about. But Paul says there's one thing that I will not remain calm about, and it's the gospel. It is the gospel, because what's at stake with the gospel is the salvation of your soul. That's the first consideration. Here's the second. Saying hard things is intimidating if, if conflict is a crisis. It's a crisis to be avoided. Make no mistake about this, this is conflict. Paul comes to Peter and opposes him face to face. This isn't just like a passive aggressive text. This isn't just like a, hey, I'm gonna send him an email, maybe if I get around to it. No, he comes and he says, I am talking to you face to face. And what's more, I'm not keeping this private, Peter, because you've involved everybody. We're talking about this as a group, family meeting right now. Paul says he's willing to do that. There's conflict here. And oftentimes, that's what sin invites. It invites problems. It invites conflict. But ask yourself this, is conflict something that we should avoid? I believe so often our culture in the world wants us to avoid culture because, well, it's a bad thing, right? And often it's because it's for the wrong reasons, as we just referenced. But what if we thought about conflict as Christians differently? Conflict isn't something to avoid because, well, conflict isolates people and separates people. What if we thought about conflict as an opportunity? Conflict is a chance to connect. Well, in that way, saying hard things actually is inspiring. Here's an opportunity not, not to avoid us and, and <coughs> excuse me, push us further away from one another, but it's a chance to connect, not just to one another, but it's a chance to connect people to Christ and the Christian community that he calls his church. Listen to this. Paul says, look, 
the, the other Jews joined him, Peter, in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Think about that. That's the nature of sin. That's the nature of wrong things, is that it wants to separate you. It wants to divide Jews and Gentiles. It wants to take somebody like Barnabas who gets it, who knows the gospel, and lead him astray. That's what every single sin wants to do, separate you from your Savior. But what if sin and conflict, when, when a life, when a word, when an action or a thought was in direct conflict with God, that wasn't a crisis to go, okay, all right, we gotta avoid this, bad. Now what if, what if it was an opportunity, a chance to connect, to connect someone you love, whether a neighbor or a spouse, a friend or a family member or a coworker, is a chance to connect them, yeah, one-on-one. -on -one. But more than that, a chance to connect them to Christ and the Christian community we call the church. I used to use this analogy when, when talking about sharing our faith. I used to use the analogy of my wife's favorite tacos. It's at a place called Bel Air Cantina, and if we're in the Milwaukee area, that is the one place that she wants to go to get tacos. And after living there for uh, several years, in my humble opinion, it has the best tacos. And so when talking about how we think about sharing our faith, I used to think that, well, just explain it like the way you would Bel Air Cantina, your favorite place to get tacos. Because after all, I got, I got no steak in Bel Air Cantina, literally. But if you ask me where you should go to eat and you're in Milwaukee, I will tell you that that is where you need to go. And I will tell you that most passionately, most vigorously. Why? Because I want you to enjoy a wonderful eating experience. I want you to be as happy as I am when I eat those tacos. And specifically, what gets me every time is the sauce. It is so good. I don't even know what it is. I used to think that was a helpful analogy. But I'm not sure if it's the most helpful because the truth is, if you say, thanks, Matt, for the recommendation and you don't go to Bel Air Cantina, I don't care. I mean, I think you're making a bad choice, but at the end of the day, I probably won't even ask you a follow-up. Like, hey, did you go? I'll probably forget. Because, I mean, I love tacos, but I don't love them that much. I, th I wonder if this is a better analogy, and it's one that I heard as I was preparing for this message. My neighbors and I'm, I'm gonna name them by name because they sometimes watch and they're so wonderful. Bill and Kathy, they live across the street from us. And the way our houses are set up and the windows in my house are set up is I can see their entire house from almost every single window in our, the front of our house. Imagine if their house caught on fire. It's the middle of the night, I'm, I'm up to get a glass of water and I see that their house is on fire. Just a little bit, not all the way. And I think to myself, huh, oh, Bill finds out that uh, it's going up in flames. Huh, hope he wakes up. I get, what if I go, hey, Bill, send him a text, call him, ah, he didn't pick up, ah, going back to bed. That would be crazy, right? Nobody would do that. In fact, what would somebody do who loves their neighbor and sees that they're sleeping in a burning house? I'd rush over 
and Bill and Kathy always lock their door, so I'm not getting in through the front door. I'm gonna bang on it. I'm gonna probably be a little rude. I'm gonna do things that aren't normally socially decent. I'm gonna bang on their front door. And then, if that doesn't work, and they don't get up, because you know, sometimes it happens, smoke, sleep, all that stuff, I might actually break their window. I might actually grab a brick or a stone from their front door and toss it in and rush in and look for them and find Bill and Kathy and do everything I can to bring them outside so that they don't die. It's probably a better analogy than tacos. Because I don't lose anything if you don't go to Bel Air Cantina. But if your house is on fire and really any person who is living, finding their hope outside of Christ, outside of Christ alone, any person who's adding things, whether it's a moral performance, whether how smart they are, how well they do at work, how much they're loved by their friends and family, any person who's living in sin is sleeping in a house that's on fire. And God's calling us to love them enough to get them out, to go and, and get them out and there's a lot at stake. That's their soul. That's their salvation. That's their life. Here's our next and our last consideration as we think about whether this is something that's intimidating or inspiring. Saying hard things is intimidating if I personally, you personally, rarely hear hard things. We're talking about someone saying no to us. God's word saying no to us. And this is an intimidating thing if I rarely hear this myself. After all, first, I don't really like people saying no to me. I don't really like it when someone says, hey, Matt, you're living out of step with the gospel. There's something not aligned here. I don't like that. So there's two choices. One, I can not like it and live a, live a verse to that. Or... If I rarely hear hard things because I'm delusional or I just don't pay attention, well, then I think I'm, I am living in line with the gospel. I think everything's pretty good. I think I'm doing all right because no one ever says anything to me that's hard. I don't spend time in God's word, which God proclaims to me that that's not how you're living. So it can be intimidating to think then that I'm gonna go and, and say to somebody else, you're not living right? What's going to happen? Well, either I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel like a phony and a fraud or a Pharisee. I'm going to feel phony because, you know, yeah, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Or I'm going to feel like a Pharisee because I'm living this way and I'm being judgmental pointing out you're living that way. And, that, and that's really intimidating. But what if we did hear hard things? Not rarely, but Daily. Daily, we put ourselves underneath the proclamation of God's word, underneath the proclamation of both the law and the gospel. How would that shape us? How would that shape our calling to be watchmen? You think about that. What, is it, what does it mean to daily hear something like this? It's daily to wrestle with both the law and the gospel, to to not just wrestle with it, apply the law and gospel. That this really means you. When God's word says all people have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, it means you. You have sinned in that way. And yet, 
all, and that includes you, all people are justified. That is, declared not guilty by God freely, by his grace. How? Well, it came about through the redemption, the buying back from sin to life that came about by Jesus Christ. It's daily applying that message to yourself. The message that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians that, yeah, there's a sting in my life and it's called death. It's fear of that. And there's this power of sin. It's called the law that I see a command and I feel the power of it when I break that command. But... But thanks be to God, he gives us victory from that way of life over that way of life, and he does it through the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's daily sitting with that law and that gospel, applying it to myself. Now, then, am I intimidated to go to say somebody the law? Am I, am I afraid to share with them the gospel? No, because this is what it's all about. It's all about how I have been freed from that way of life, how I don't live in the guilt of, well, what Romans 3 tells us, that I've sinned and fallen short. No, I live in the glory of the message of the good news of God that I am freely justified. And that is what I want for you, no longer intimidated, but inspired. We've asked that question throughout this. We've asked... Is this intimidating or inspiring? But we haven't talked about really who this has been said to. Remember, it's been said to Peter, the apostle. And when you think about how you think of Peter, how do you picture him? Perhaps you don't think of him as a failure and a sinner and someone whose life is completely out of line with the gospel. Why is that? Well, it's because while this text doesn't explicitly say that Peter listened to Paul, what we do have are two letters from Peter where he proclaims the gospel and he proclaims how he has been forgiven and his life is aligned with that message. So we know. We know what happened. The story ended maybe with an apology maybe then there on the spot in front of everybody or maybe the next day. Where Peter said, you're right, that is no way to live. And you think about that. A sinner, someone who's, who's well, we shouldn't be surprised. He's he sinned before and, and he sinned again. Daily came back to that. How? It's because a friend proclaimed a hard thing to him. The hard thing of sin, but also the good news that he's forgiven. We daily need that. I had the opportunity to attend a, a local leadership class through our chamber of Fredericksburg. And one of the first topics they covered was something called crucial conversations. It was a really well done module of this course where they taught people why it's important to have crucial conversations and all their work and leadership relationships and how to have them. And what was a lot of fun is that each and every year, uh, people grab on to this section of the course and, and they really run with it. And every, every week over the next, or every month rather, over the next nine months, people come back and they tell some pretty incredible stories about what's happened because they had crucial conversations. I kid you not, every single year, there's somebody who gets promoted at work because they finally had a crucial conversation. There's another person who quits their job 
because they had that crucial conversation. People tell really moving stories about how they had hard conversations outside of work, outside of leadership, just in their own family and relationships, and they did it because of what they learned. Crucial conversations. Friends, you have something at stake more crucial than a job, more crucial than a relationship. It's the salvation of people's souls. It is the salvation of the people's souls in your life that you love and you cherish. And God says, have it. Have that conversation. Go in peace. Live freely as you have that. Because we've had a God who all along has had the hard conversations with us. He wrote them down. In his word, he, he's explained that we lived separated from him. But he also said the hard thing, that I'm gonna send my own son. Can you imagine how hard that would be to say? I'm gonna send my own son, but it's so, it's so that you will never be separated from me. You'll be my very own. Go in peace, amen. Amen.